1945 was a great year for preachers, for rookie preachers. There were three preachers that were just in their mid-20s and yet had gained a nationwide audience. Of course, you're familiar with Billy Graham and the work that he did. But there was also two others, just as famous, if not more famous, Chuck Templeton and Bron Clifford. Templeton was said by Time Magazine is the most gifted and talented young preacher in America today. Clifford preached across the country to record crowds where people could not even get into the arena. But in just five years, Templeton had grown into a skeptic who no longer believed in God. And in 10 years, Clifford had left the ministry, left his wife, left his two children, became an alcoholic, and passed away at a young age. But then, of course, we highlight Billy Graham, who died just a few years ago at 100 years old, but through all of those years was faithful, not perfect, but faithful, who actually finished strong. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. How in the world do we finish strong? When we see two out of three here didn't finish strong, I think that's probably pretty accurate statistics because we all know it's so easy to start. It's so easy to be excited at the beginning, but it's so challenging to finish out the race. And here we are on the last day of 2023. I'm asking you this morning, are we going to finish this year strong? And as you look forward to the next year, are there some lessons that we could learn today that will help us be really strong? Now, we're going to turn to an unusual passage. I've never preached from it but one time, and that was somewhere else. But I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 21, where we're going to look at a very unusual story about someone who finished strong, the Apostle Paul. And while we look at this story, because this is a pivotal moment in Paul's life, he can choose the easy way and not be obedient to God and just fade into the sunset. Or he can choose the difficult way, being obedient to God, and finish his ministry so strong. Now, as we look at this, it's a pretty interesting passage because we're going to see there seems on surface to be a contradiction of what the Holy Spirit's telling Paul to do. Uh, The first verse we'll look at is back in chapter 20, verse 22. It says, And now compelled by the Spirit... Paul says, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Now, understand the context here. Paul has been collecting this collection uh, from Gentile churches to go back to Jerusalem to support the church in Jerusalem that's in poverty. You say, what's the big deal here? The big deal is Paul has taken the gospel to the Gentiles, and the Jewish people back in Jerusalem aren't very excited about it. And and so here in chapter 20, it says uh, that he is to go. In chapter 21, it tells him not to go. What is going on here? Why would the Spirit tell him in chapter 20 to go, and the Spirit in chapter 21 tell him not to go? What's happening? Well, there's a lot. And it's a great passage. As we answer a couple of these contradictions, I also want you to grab hold of some practical points that will allow you to finish strong. 
How many people in your life do you know who faded in their faith? How many people do you know who've actually gotten stronger toward the end than the beginning? I think we'll find some answers out here. First of all, Paul is leaving a ministry he had of the church at Ephesus, and it's a very emotional scene. At the end of chapter 20, it says, they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement, they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. He's saying goodbye to this church. He's about to obey the Spirit and go to Jerusalem, and he thinks this is probably going to mean the end, that they will never see him again. And so he starts this journey. He's trying to get to Jerusalem by Passover, so he's traveling across the Mediterranean, Stops at all these different islands. Finally, in verse 4, it said, We sought out the disciples there entire and stayed with them seven days. Now, this is the contradiction, so pay close attention. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, did you see earlier? The Spirit compelled him to go to Jerusalem. Here, they say the Spirit tells him not to go to Jerusalem. Is there a contradiction is the question we've got to answer. The more I've studied this, the more I've looked at this, I don't think there's a contradiction. I think the Holy Spirit is giving the same message. Paul, you're going to go to Jerusalem, and some really, really bad things are going to happen to you. He also gives these Christians at Tyre the same message. They understand the prophecy correctly, but they don't interpret it correctly. Paul knows this is what God is asking him to do. They know it's going to be so bad. They're saying, Paul, we don't think you should go. The Holy Spirit is giving a warning here that says, this is going to be tough. They interpret that to mean don't go when Paul knows the Spirit has told him to go. Now, we can understand this. It's a hard thing. When you love somebody... You know, have you ever seen someone who's about to go into a foreign mission field, you know, and everybody warns them not to go because it's hard? I mean, for instance, this morning, I think about last Sunday uh, when we had the brother from Mercy House here, and he introduced Jim Sanderson as our missions director, and Andrew Brindley lost his job after two weeks, all right? Can you imagine if this Sunday Andrew comes up and says, God, the Spirit has told me to go to Iran to be a missionary. And we go, Andrew, do you not know what happens in Iran? I mean, people are killed for spreading the gospel in Iran. That we, and, and we would do just what we're going to see them do over and over. We would beg him not to go. And yet, Paul is begged. And yet he goes. Look at verse 5. When it came time to leave, we left and continued all our, on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanying us out of the city. Now, we saw what happened. We left Ephesus. Now we're seeing how emotional they get when we leave Tyre. And they, they're on the beach. We knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went abroad aboard the ship, and they returned home. So they, he continues from the village, from Tyre, and then Potlemius, I don't say that correctly, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea, stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So it's an interesting story here. He's going from place to place to place on his way to Jerusalem. 
And then we get to, to verse 10. And God wants to confirm to Paul he's doing the right thing. So he sends another prophet, this is a male prophet, to confirm that. After we'd been there a number of days, the prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. Just listen. He took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So this is not some second-rate YouTube prophet. This is a real prophet. And he comes like an Old Testament prophet and says, I'm not going to just tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to play act this in front of you. Here's what's going to happen, Paul. You're going back to Jerusalem, and you're going to be bound, and you're going to be turned over to the Romans. That's what's going to happen. And so we see that scene very, very vividly. And then we go to verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people... They're pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I mean, here Paul knows God wants him to go. The whole church is begging him not to go. And Paul's saying, guys, this is what God wants me to do. You're breaking my heart. This this send-off fellowship I'm looking for has turned into a gut-wrenching moment. He said, I'm not only ready to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And so Paul just determinedly, after this, we started on our way to Jerusalem. So what you, Paul said, why are you doing this to me? And so they get, you know, uh, they finally give up. Paul goes on his way, and we continue to see this incredible story unfold. Now, what do we learn here about finishing strong? Now, you say, buddy, what, what's this dragon doing here? If you were here last week with us, we added a character to the manger scene from Revelation chapter 12. And there was this character, the red dragon, who was ready to destroy the baby as soon as the baby Jesus was born. But thank God the baby was protected. But we did know that the red dragon who was cast to the earth then made his mind up, if he couldn't destroy Jesus, he'd come after us. He'd come after Jesus' offspring. And so listen to me, my friends. One thing that makes it, or what really makes it so hard to finish well, is that we have an enemy who's coming after us. And we're seeing this in this story. And in your life, the exception is the person who finishes strong. So what are some things we can learn from Paul? who finishes very strong. I think we've already seen a few important points. Number one, Paul was led by the Spirit, okay? He was led by the Spirit of God. He was not led by popular opinion. I mean, everybody, even in the church, said, Paul, don't go. Guys, when when you're going to stand strong for God, everybody around you is not going to be happy. A lot of you in here are young Christians. So many of you have been baptized over the last year. And when you go back to your friend group, they're going to wonder what in the world is going on with you. And they're going to want you to go back and do the things that you did with them before. And many of you are just really surrendering your life to Jesus. And even in the midst sometimes of a church where so many of us become lukewarm and we don't finish strong. And, man, you're fired up. And sometimes my tendency, if you're really fired up and you're trying to do some crazy things for Jesus, my tendency is to pull you back. And so Paul was not 
dissuaded by popular opinion. He neither was dissuaded by circumstances. Sometimes if we're not careful, we interpret the Lord's leading by circumstances, okay? If I think God wants me to do something and all the doors easily open and the path becomes very plain, everybody applauds along the way, and everything seems to go easy. I go, oh, my goodness. This must have come from God. It's all falling right in place. Listen to me, guys. Sometimes when you are following God, it doesn't all fall in place because this red dragon does not want you to go down the wrong path. So don't interpret whether God's speaking to you by just whether your circumstances go well or not. You listen to the very voice of God. And number number. Um, two here, Paul's life was full of caring relationships. That's one thing, as you read through these chapters, that really hits me. Paul was so close to people. I mean, you, you see these emotional scenes where Paul's leaving and people love him so much. One thing I love about Paul is he was open to close relationships. Now, that's a little surprising because when you, when you read the New Testament about the Apostle Paul. He's a hard-driven, type-A personality. I mean, Paul's got an agenda. He's after it. He's uncompromising in so many situations. And often we think of people with type-A personalities of not really having time to build relationships because relationships take time. But it's obvious here, when Paul was in Ephesus, when he was there entire, and people felt very close to him. Because please don't pass this point. If you're going to finish strong, a lot of it's going to do with the people you surround yourself with. God, from the beginning, did not create you to be alone. And if you want to finish strong for God, you need to surround yourself with people who will help you to finish strong. Guys, I was reading this week the news. Man, all statistics say Americans are lonelier than they've ever been. There is an epidemic of loneliness. Just one sidelight, they say, is honestly social media that on our phone makes us feel like we're close to people actually It's sort of like Nathan said to the welcome. It's not the same as face-to-face. It makes you think you've got a 1,000 likes and a 1,000 friends, but you really don't. And so we end up being lonely. And yet, guys, you're not going to stand up well being alone. I'm sure I'm talking to some people right now, and I'm hoping I'm talking clearly to you. Even in a room full of people like this, you really don't have any deep spiritual relationships. I read this a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was fascinating. There was this major millionaire who decided he wanted to do something about the, the breakdown of the family in America. So he decided he was going to give millions of dollars to go into a city and see if they could bring the divorce rate down. So they went in one major American city. They did all kinds of workshops, seminars, speeches, radio programs. I mean, they did it. Millions of dollars barely brought the divorce rate down. They decided to try it again. This time, they literally went to Jacksonville, Florida. And for two years, here was the difference. For two years, they partnered with churches to improve marriages. This is, this is crazy good. They brought the divorce rate in Jacksonville, Florida down 
Well, they said, what was the difference? The difference here was you just have a bunch of individuals going to seminars who have no other connection. Over here, you have people going to seminars and workshops who have connections, who have relationships to lean on. Guys, that's why we're in this church, so that we can finish strong. And if you're going to finish strong, I'm just telling you, whether it's in your marriage or your spiritual life, it's going to be because you surround yourself with good people. We say about teenagers, you give me your five best friends, and I can tell you how strong you're going to be. I think the same is true for us adults. Who are your best friends? Are they helping you become more like Jesus? So Paul was led by the Spirit. Paul was also lived a life full of great relationships. And number three, I think you've got to see this. Paul was just flat out courageous. Well, what is courage? Courage is doing the right thing even when you're scared to death. Sometimes we think about courageous people, people who just, oh, that doesn't hurt me, doesn't bother me, I just jump in the middle of the fire. Oh, no, good, my goodness, no. Some of the great courageous men of the Bible, Joseph, who turns down the allurement of Potiphar's wife, he's thrown into prison. You think that was all easy? You think David wasn't nervous when he walked off that mountain to face Goliath? You think when Paul made the choice to not listen to all these people and to actually go to Jerusalem, which would begin the end of his life, you, you think there wasn't some nervousness? No, there was. That's courage. courage is not, not feeling scared. Courage is, listen closely, doing what God wants you to do even when you're scared to death. And that's what I see in the Apostle Paul. Now, we keep read in the story in chapter 21. And we see that Paul becomes a great, great hero. Listen to what Paul says in verse 13 about this. The issue in Jerusalem, he tells these people who don't want him to go, is not what they do to me. I'm not the issue. It's not whether they arrest me or even murder me. Listen, this is so insightful. But what the master Jesus does through my obedience. Can you see? Paul says, the issue here for me to be courageous is not my comfort. The issue is how can God use my obedience? You see, we look back and we, we label Paul a hero. That's why we're looking at him today. But here's what I want to remind you. In the middle of this, Paul was thought to be strange even by other Christians. And I'm telling you, when you step out for God, there will be even other Christians you think, man, you're taking this thing too far. You're appearing to be really, really strange. And so that's why it takes retrospect for us to look back and go, this man really was a hero. So we continue in the story. I wish we had time to read the whole chapter, but let me tell you what happens. Paul gets to Jerusalem. The church throws a welcoming party. The elders want to meet with him. He tells them the story of how the gospel spread among the Gentiles. They praise God. And then the conversation takes a, a quick U-turn. Then they say, now, Paul, that's all good. But we got to tell you, you're not a very popular man here in Jerusalem. There are rumors being spread that you're encouraging Jewish Christians not to keep the Jewish law. And there are people hopping mad here. They're mad enough to kill you. 
So the elders propose this really weird solution. Read the chapter, you'll see it. There are these four men's men who are taking a Nazarite vow. And what that involved was for 30 days, they wouldn't eat meat or drink wine. They would spend six days in the temple. They would um, shave their heads and they would um, offer sacrifices. They would offer a ram for a peace offering and a lamb for a sin offering. Now, here's the weird thing. The elders say to Paul, Paul, if you want to prove to all these people you're not anti the law, then here's what we're asking you to do. Pay for it. Participate in it. Now, when I'm reading this, I think, oh, my goodness. You're going to ask Paul to do that? To pay for offerings he doesn't even believe or needed now that Jesus is the once-for-all offering? And yet Paul conceded. Now, the sad thing about it, if you keep reading, is it didn't work. They still got mad at him. They still stormed him, and he still got cast away to Rome. But here's what really shocks me, because here, this, this is the second contradiction I see that we got to deal with. Contradiction number two is Paul's character. On one hand, Paul seems so completely inflexible. At the beginning of the chapter, all these people are begging him not to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't even listen to them. He just goes. He seems to be so determined and so inflexible. But in the last part of the chapter, he's asked to do something that at least appears to us, to a man who's freed himself from legalism and the law, something that appears to be crazy flexible. Now, how do we put that together? Well, that brings us to point number four. Paul knew his calling. Back in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says this. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, my only aim, say that with me, my only aim, say it again, my only aim. What's your only aim, Paul? What is your only aim? Is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus gave me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. What's your only aim, Paul? I want to finish strong. What's finishing strong to you? It's telling people about Jesus. And to do that, Paul says, whoa, if it helps me get the gospel to people, I'm flexible. First Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, when I'm with Jewish people, I act more Jewish so that I can reach them. When I'm with Gentile people, I act more Gentile so I can reach them. And then he concludes it, I do all things, I find all possible means to do all things to save all men. Paul, what's going on here? Are you compromising? No, he's not compromising his belief. He's simply saying there's a higher calling in my life. He's called to preach the gospel. And guys, if we're going to finish strong, let's, let's first of all talk broadly. This is a church. Man, we've got to stay laser focused on our aim. We can't be diverted by side issues. 
It's like, like Al said a few minutes ago, man, I love this one. We got to stay focused on the filet mignon, right? We got to stay focused on Jesus. And as an individual, if you're going to finish strong, this dragon is going to try to divert you in all kinds of different ways from our aim, which is to help people to come to know Jesus. Back to Billy Graham. You've heard me tell this story before, but it fits here so well. Years later in Billy Graham's life, after he's a very famous preacher, there's a Christian university in California that invites Dr. Graham to come speak at their graduation, which sounds like a great thing to do. And the guy calls Dr. Graham, and he's very polite, but he says, no, I'm not coming. And the guy says, well, why won't you come? We're a Christian university. We're training people to do what you're doing. Why won't you come speak? Dr. Graham wisely says, I'd love to come speak at your university. I'd love to talk to those graduates. But if I go speak to them, then I'm going to miss out on the purpose of my life, which is to preach to people who don't know Jesus. He was able to say no because he knew his yes And my friends, if we're going to be true to our calling and finish strong, we must know our yes. And that brings me to number five. Paul was wise. What's wisdom? Wisdom is knowing when you say no, when you say yes. Guys, one of the greatest ways in 2024, Satan's going to keep you off track. It's not going to be to put you into some kind of terrible sin. He's just going to distract you from as many activities you can schedule so that you can't focus on the one thing that really matters. That's how he's beaten us. And Paul knew, you know what, I'm going to have to say no to these things so that I can say yes to important things. Can I ask you this morning as we enter a new year, what are the things that you need to say no to so that you can say yes to spiritual growth? Yes to being a part of this church. Yes to reaching people for Jesus Christ. We need to learn from the famous theologian, Kenny Rogers. You got to know when to what? You got to know when to? You got to know when to? And know when to say. You got to know those things. And that's what Paul's teaching us. So first of all, let me ask you, are we courageous enough to make the decisions to follow God even when some people around us don't understand it? Second, when we see people among us who do things that appear to us to be radical for Jesus, are we going to be the ones that applaud them or are we going to be the ones that hold them back? You see, here's the great thing about Paul. Above all, Paul trusted God to write the story. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen in Jerusalem. He didn't know exactly how he'd get to Rome. He didn't know exactly how things would end up in Rome. But he trusted that God knew what he was doing. Even when everybody around him says, you're, you're not listening to God correctly. You're missing the, the point. I love Listening to Charles Stanley years ago, famous preacher, our staff went to a seminar in Atlanta, and they actually had his son, Andy, interview the dad, Charles, which, man, we're just ready to take notes. 
And so they're asking him all kinds of questions. You know, what do you do about this part of ministry? How do you keep yourself centered, you know? How do you focus? And no matter what they asked him, he answered with the same sentence. I'm like, why did we bring him here for this interview? Anything they asked him, Jeremy, you'll remember this. He would simply come back to say, here's what I do. I obey God and I leave the results to him. Okay, that's a nice answer. Next question. I obey God, what do you do? And I leave the results to him. I obey God and I leave the results to him. And I thought to myself, please give me a different answer. The longer I heard, I thought, no, that's the answer. Make your mind up in 2024 that whatever God tells you to do through his word and through his spirit, that you're going to obey him, not even knowing the results because you leave them up to him. And here's the really cool thing about the Apostle Paul. Because he says yes to the Spirit and goes to Jerusalem and is handed over to the Gentiles and goes to Rome, number one, on the way to Rome, he preaches to some really powerful people who would have never heard the gospel otherwise. And number two, when he gets to Rome, Paul does the greatest work of his life, which is to write the majority of what we call the New Testament. Because he obeyed God and left the results to him. So this morning, as you close this year out, maybe this has not been a good year for you spiritually. I'm telling you here on the last Sunday of this year, you can make a commitment here that could change this year. Maybe like Al was talking about earlier, you got caught in that pet sin and you will repent of that. Maybe you've got caught in lukewarmness. Maybe you've heard God try to prompt you to do things for him and you said no. Maybe your priorities have gotten out of whack for whatever reason. And here on this Sunday, you want to rededicate your life to Jesus. Or maybe you want to come to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're a sinner and you're thinking, man, I I tell you what, I I don't know what my life's about. I'm just running from one thing to the next. I don't have a purpose. Let me tell you, Jesus will give you this purpose. And Paul's the great display. But you say, buddy, come on, man, give me a break here. This is the apostle Paul. Of course he did good. Of course he finished strong. You know how screwed up my life is? Time out. Paul's past is worse than yours, I'll guarantee you. He killed Christians before he became a Christian. So if you're far away from God, this is your moment to come. This is your moment to close this year out strong. But more importantly than just closing this year out strong, and you're going to start being led by the Spirit. You're going to surround yourself with godly people. You're going to show courage even when you're nervous. You're going to be a wise person who knows when to say yes and when to say no. And one day somebody will get up and talk about you and go, you know what? You can say whatever you want to about him. You can say whatever you want to about her. They did what most people don't do. They finished strong. If we could pray for you today, come right now while we stand and sing.